Hi, I'm Mark Rabin. Welcome to part three of the Ask Us Anything series. Joined today by Greg Jacobson, if you want to introduce yourself real quick. Hello, I'm Greg Jacobson. I am the CEO and one of the co-founders of Kinexus. And I am the VP of Improvement and Innovation Services at Kinexus. We have gotten a lot of questions from people who attended our original webinar, Ask Us Anything, and we're continuing to do these blab sessions to get through other questions. A lot of really good questions, so we're going to head and dive into things. Have you seen an informal problem-solving tool that can be used on the shop floor, or I guess we could say in any workplace, informal problem-solving tool that's quick and easy to use? Yeah, I thought I would take an initial stab at that. I think, to me, problem-solving tools, especially if you're talking about continuous improvement and engaging as many people, should be relatively simple. And so, you know, whether whether it's formal or informal, to me, I think the question is whether it's simple or it's complex. And so to me, I think the five whys is, is such a great um, way to structure a series of questions that hopefully has, takes you out to the shop floor, takes you out to the gamba, takes you where the problem actually occurred and, and really where the value is being added, but helps you structure to make sure you are not kind of falling on, on top of a, um, a workaround or not really getting to the root cause of it quick enough. And, and we say the five whys, it doesn't have to be five, it sometimes can be three and sometimes it can be seven. The right. point is, is that you're just continuing to ask and ask and ask until you get something that's really a root cause and something that, that should be fixed at the core. So I think it's a great um, framework to open up the conversation to the shop floor that, that isn't very complicated. And I, I think even simpler than that, um, if we use just the basic, what you might call quick and easy Kaizen method of continuous improvement, finding a problem, an opportunity for improvement, talking about it with your, your, your team, testing something, you know, testing a, a change to see if it makes things better, document, share and spread that idea. I mean, whether it, you know, five whys or root cause analysis, like you're talking about, Greg, or even uh, you know small, simple Kaizen that doesn't require root cause analysis. I think the simple method that ties it all together is the PDSA cycle, plan, do, study, adjust. That is the framework of lean improvement, continuous improvement, whether it's you know a real small, simple change or something a little bit more complex or something that requires more complicated methods like uh, like A3s. I think A3s are still fairly simple. Um, big problems, small problems, it's all PDSA. Simple to, to say, harder to do, harder to practice and to get good at it. I think the same is true with uh, root cause analysis and, uh, and five whys. Um, got another question. My organization is very new to lean. Um, they've, they've sent me for training at Virginia Mason Medical Center, which is a great, I'll, I'll add, that's a great lean healthcare example, uh, doing little projects here and there. Leadership is wanting an electronic way for staff to submit their ideas. I'm wondering if this will be damaging if we've not yet rolled out and explained our new methodology, which is lean. I'm also worried that we'll be overwhelmed by the sheer number of ideas and we won't be able to get to all of them. Uh, Greg, do you want to yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, to jump on that. And it's funny, we, we talked to a number of uh, potential customers and, and folks kind of interested 
in what we do at, at Kinexus, and they, it's not infrequent that people will, will make a, what I think is a fallacy. I think it's, it's wrong to think that just because you're starting out means that you shouldn't have the right platform or the right um, tool or whatever, whatever you want to refer to that. I think the best analogy would be it's, it's if you wanted to learn how to um, run a marathon or start training to run a marathon, the, the logic will be, oh, well, I'm not going to get running shoes initially. First, I'm going to, you know, run a bit it, just because I don't want to, you know, get the shoes in the way of the actual, you know, pure thing of what I'm doing, which is running a marathon. And, uh, of course, that's a you, – you would never attempt to, to run a marathon without shoes. And so what we, what we end up seeing is people – you know, grabbing off the shelf the, the tools that they have on their computer, right? You have email, you have Excel, you have Word, and, and then they try to develop a process with essentially um, not a system that is conducive to making the journey of continuous improvement much easier. And so we we very much think that there is no better time than, than at the very beginning to get all the processes in place and, and use the supporting technology um, to do this, um, like Kinexus, we just, just last week, we're talking to someone who said, oh, you know, I, I wish two years ago we would have known about your company and started using your product because we have, the administrative burden that we've been having to, to deal with um, has been great. And in, in spite of that, we've, we've, we've still made it this far, but think about where we could be. And, and um, you know, we hear a lot of people that ultimately end up failing at the beginning steps, we think that they wouldn't have done so had they had, had used Kinexus from the beginning. So, Yeah, and, and I think using, you know, you can start with the methodology, you can use um, technology at the same time. And I, I think what the person's asking is, you know, if they're starting with technology, what else do they need to have in place? And we always tell our customers, we see successful customers, it requires a methodology and leadership, the right leadership behaviors, so yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, you know, having uh, I think we're the first to say um, technology—it's—it's it's not a silver bullet. It doesn't create energy or enthusiasm. Uh, it's a platform, you know. It's and so I think it, I think it, I don't know if I would say damaging. It could be uh, it could be a waste. You know, Greg, I don't know if you have thoughts on this. I mean, we, uh, you know, if, if you, it would be a waste if you don't have methodology and leadership. Yeah, I think if you. Would if you walk into the equation and, and say, and I'm just going to go back to the to the marathon, that all I need to do to run a marathon is to buy a pair of running shoes. Well, no, it's a tool. It's, it's just part of what you're going to need to to run a marathon. And so, yeah, I think I honestly think if you don't have leadership commitment, and that leadership doesn't have to be the CEO, it could be whatever group, whatever leader that group is, although. The higher up the commitment, the, the easier it is to, to do, we find. And, and you don't recognize that you, you either need to kind of take the, the stock methodology that kind of Kinexus in its default mode supports, then um, in that case, probably, yeah, don't, don't waste your time buying, buying the technology. That probably would be a waste. But if you're going to at least take kind of the stock methodology that we support um, and, you, and you do have commitment, then I think it's um, – and then, and then I think it's actually a waste not to do it because, you know, developing your processes around an Excel spreadsheet or around a shared drive or developing, you know, something around Google Forms, we hear time and time and time again that 
that the energy that had to be overcome and ultimately ended up either stalling the program out or causing the program to fail, it's, it's just too important. The work is just too important not to not to start off on the right path. And, and there's also a second part of this question. I'm also worried about the flood of ideas. And right. me, that is a wonderful problem to have. I mean, that is, and, and we, we all can see that, that there's going to be a little blip at the beginning. And it's it solved so simply by just communicating back to the folks that are submitting things, just acknowledging, hey, we, we, hear, we hear your idea, we hear your suggestion, we hear your problem. We're going through this as quickly as we can. We're not going to ignore it. We're going to get back to it. But as we're able to ramp up our bandwidth on processing these and bringing people into the um, cycle, uh, then uh, please just be patient with us. And so, for example, the technology we have, and in Kinexus, you actually can put things in a plan status. You can respond to the author right away, which takes 10 seconds, and, and give them a little insight into when the, the suggestion will be executed um, or will be addressed in, in, a, in a more real way. I think that it's only damaging if you accept ideas or participation or problems, and then you're silent with them. Right. When you're silent, I think that's what causes the problem. Yeah, because you, know, you get a flood of ideas. I've seen this lots of settings. There, there is an initial flood. There's a pent-up number of ideas. People want to speak up. And then when you ask them, boom, you know, here comes a lot of ideas. And, you know, I, I think that can be addressed. You just talk to them and say, look, you know, we can't implement it all in the first week. But when people have visibility, uh, as they do through Kinexus, um, that, that helps people from feeling overwhelmed um, or it helps them from feeling discouraged. Say, hey, I spoke up and you didn't implement my idea. It's not lost in the suggestion box. It's, it's visible. It's transparent um, for everyone to see. And I think the other way I would prevent, try to prevent people from being overwhelmed is having lots of people participating in, in the implementation. If you have just an idea or if you have lots of people implementing ideas and just the manager or a handful of people trying to implement it all, yeah, they're going to be overwhelmed and the way you prevent that is spread out um, that implementation you delegate it but then as a leader um, you coach and you help people uh, when they get stuck i don't think we can emphasize enough that um, really delegating and empowering people to, to take the the first role is to take those steps are, are going to be really really key and so if, if the and, and this is a mistake we see constantly that the that middle management position feels that they are the ones that have to do or implement or uh, sort out all of suggestions. They're the ones that really need to start delegating because the, the magic happens when the front line is actually involved and is empowered, not in a completely unmonitored way. We're not saying that, you know, create chaos, right? But give them the ability to, to do those tasks to help, take off the burden, they're going to feel more part of the process. And it's amazing um, the kind of engagement that, that's created by kind of that offloading, if you will. Yeah. Okay, we've got another question that came in. What are the steps to instill culture change in an organization? Um, may I, let, let me take a first swing at that. I, I, to me, one of the things that's interesting about culture change talk is that we often hear people talking about what they want the culture to be. But I think it's helpful first, as in any problem solving, to help define the problem, understand the current state, and understand what is it about the current culture that is a strength 
that we want to reinforce or keep moving forward with? And then what changes do we want to, uh, to, to put in place? I, you know, I don't think there's ever a case where an organization has to throw away their entire culture and completely reinvent something new. Culture is incremental. I think culture evolves because culture is basically, you know, what we do every day based on our beliefs and, and our mindset. So that's one thing I would suggest, you know, start by understanding the current state, understanding the problem and what gaps you have in your culture. Yeah, and to, to me, the, the, the primary steps is, is, is developing a habit. Culture is a representation of the actions you do. You know, it's, the, it's getting back to, do you think your way into a new way of acting or do you act your way into a new way of thinking? And, and of course, the way you're going to develop that culture is by acting your new way, acting yourself in a new way of thinking. And, and you'll, you'll emerge there. And uh, so... So to me, it's a matter of creating that habit loop. Mm-hmm. Talk about the habit loop a lot here at Kinexus. There's going to be a cue, a routine, and then a reward. And if that habit loop can happen in, in a rapid way, that habit loop doesn't take two years to, to create, then as soon as that routine comes back again, you're going to do that. Um, I'm sorry, as soon as that cue comes back again, you're going to do that routine. That's why daily huddles or some kind of recurrent huddle process or making it part of what you do is just so key because you get that immediate benefit. That's also why taking small changes or at least focusing on small changes is so rewarding because you get some instant gratification and some instant benefit. We've also found that about 1% to 2% of all ideas that you implement will have huge impact. And so the matter of how do you hit home runs, well, you just keep getting on base. And every time you get on base, about 1% or 2% of those are going to be a home run. Mm-hmm. So, um, Yeah, and I think you know, my, my final thought on this, you know, culture change, we, we don't just snap our fingers and say, oh, we have a culture now where we don't blame people for systemic problems anymore. Uh, you, know, you might say that's our goal and that's what we're working toward and that's a principle and a new behavior and a mindset. All you can do is demonstrate to people over time, okay, today we didn't blame anybody for a systemic problem. Tomorrow we're not going to blame anyone for a systemic problem. I think it takes time. Um, You have to demonstrate over time. um, This is what we're we're living now. We're practicing what we're preaching. We can't just um, preach and say, okay, culture's changed, right? We, We have to act, keep acting, right? So another question, um, there's two parts. Let me put up uh, the first part here. Um, how can continuous improvement in the form of lean or, or lean practitioners be part of the strategy or decision-making process of high-level management? Um, I think, you know, one, one thing, I mean, I th- this is challenging. Senior executives, leaders have to be willing to learn about lean and not be uh, an organization that thinks you know, lean is just for the frontline staff. We need to fix the way they think, fix the way they operate. I think senior leaders somehow need to be, you know, first exposed to the idea that lean is for them as well. If they demonstrate lean behaviors, if they are thinking lean, if they're applying um, these different problem-solving processes to their work, that can start cascading through the organization. So I think. I think part of it is we, we have to help them see 
that that's important. Maybe we can share the examples of CEOs like John Toussaint or Gary Kaplan or others who sort of make that pitch executive to executive. Hey, lean is for you too. You know, Greg, what are your thoughts? To me, there's two flavors of this. One is how do you push continuous improvement up? When you think of continuous improvement, a lot of times you think of it as a front line, but actually you know, senior management are doing processes. They're doing processes every day, whether it's how they generate and interpret reports, whether it's how they um, are evaluating and or articulating strategic initiatives for the organization, whether it's how they're working on some large strategic project. So I don't, I don't think there's a single individual in a company that wouldn't benefit from, from looking at their workday and looking at the people they interact with and figuring out how can we um, take waste out of that? How can we add more value to our customers? Um, but I also think that it, the, the other part of this equation is, is if the senior management is articulating and communicating effectively what the larger goals of the organization are, and all of a sudden, you don't have one mind thinking about how to achieve the strategic initiatives of the organization. You now have a thousand minds on how to do it. And so I think that, that you, can, you can almost use continuous improvement as a weapon, if you will, and just start pointing it at the problems you want the organization to solve. And so I think there's, there's a couple of different ways in which continuous improvement can um, be embraced and, you know, if you want to use the word exploited, could be exploited by, by senior leadership and, and defining and helping their own work as well as mobilizing their front line to be in line with the strategic initiative and the strategic of the organization. Yeah. And the second part of the question here, will we ever see a director position dedicated to continuous improvement only or maybe a chief of continuous improvement officer? So, uh, yeah, we, we do see a lot of director roles, director of lean transformation, director of process improvement, director of operational excellence, whatever term is used. Sometimes it's a VP position in the organization. Sometimes that VP reports directly to the CEO or COO in organizations. Uh, I haven't seen, I don't think, a role that's a chief lean officer. Actually, the other thing about Baylor, Scott, and White in Texas has a chief operational excellence officer. And so I think, you know, I think it's always interesting to see how high up that specialist role is in the organization where it reports to. I think it's, it's better if it reports to a C-level as opposed to being siloed within, you know, reporting to a director of quality. I think, you know, a role, if it's positioned like that in the organization, uh, it sends a message that's not very important and that person can get lost in the organization. Interesting question, Mark. So I didn't appreciate the, the subtlety of the question until you started talking about it. But mm -hmm. So for one, we do, like you said, see some of those titles creeping into a VP level um, area, and we definitely see some of those VPs you know, reporting directly to a CEO. But the, the counter of that, or not the counter of that, but an analogy of that in the emergency medicine world, as you as you know, and many of our listeners know, I'm an emergency medicine doctor. I got very interested in process improvement in the emergency department. How can I actually help save lives? And uh, the emergency medicine has actually a very young specialty. And uh, it was the first emergency medicine 
program was actually in the early 70s. By the early 80s, there was only a handful of programs. We were only producing a couple dozen ER doctors a year in, in the early 80s. And it actually was an offshoot of oftentimes of the surgical departments. And so you would be able to tell immediately the power of the emergency department or the emergency program at an organization by figuring out where it was located. Is it, is it a part of internal medicine? Is it a part of surgery? Or is it its own separate department? And when I was evaluating residencies to go train as an ER doctor, I did not rank highly or really even consider organizations where the emergency department was a subset of the surgical department. Mm. It, it just it, it articulated the importance of emergency medicine at that organization. And so I think that you could actually use this, the reporting structure and the titles, if you um, wanted to be a part of an organization that had a strong continuous improvement culture by figuring out, well, how are people reporting? And, if, oh, it's just a manager of continuous improvement that goes to this, that goes to this, and then there's eight different layers by the time you get to the CEO, or, or there's maybe one or two layers. Uh, so it's a really, really interesting question. Mm-hmm. And I, I would add, maybe just one other thought. I would hope, you know, the CEO of an organization might describe himself as the chief mm-hmm. continuous improvement officer. You know, uh, Dr. Eric Dixon, in ER doc, Greg, like you, at UMass Memorial Medical Center is one of many CEOs who uh, play a very active role in um, really con- uh, encouraging everyone to participate in continuous improvement. And I think that's powerful when you see that. Okay, we've got another question here, thinking about executives and alignment through the organization. Considering a company with a balanced scorecard and key process indicators, KPIs in place, what are your recommendations to define the most effective connection with Lean? Um, Greg, do you want to talk about what some of our customers are doing, what you see? Obviously, KPIs, the the important thing is is that there's not a lot of them, right? You you really want there to be a handful, half dozen, probably no more than 10 things that you're really asking the organization to focus on. Right. Key performance indicators. Correct. Yeah. So I also think it's important to recognize that these need to be at um, really high, whole organization wide, as well as departmental, and then even even at a work group kind of level, where what are what are our key performance indicators that are supporting the KPIs kind of above us, if you will. And, and if you think about doing improvement work, there's, there's really two major components to it, right? You're doing the work. And then you're looking at the data. Does the data get better? And so that's something we've recognized here at, at Kinexus, that, that being able to see the KPIs side to side with the improvement work is, is ultimately a very important thing in a, in a continuous improvement platform. And it's a direction we've been moving as a company from our product as well. And so, you know, to us being able to see that data and then being able to do the improvement work and seeing them side by side will let you know is the improvement work that you're doing actually having a, a true benefit. And um, we intend in the product to continue to, to make this connection even more robust where even improvements and projects will be annotated on uh, the data charts that you're actually um, displaying and, and those charts living on the electronic boards that you can see in Kinexus that kind of represent those, the paper bulletin boards that you see in a lot of organizations doing this. So 
Um, I think the key. I think the key is is that it really needs to be visible and it needs to be relevant to the work group and it needs and, and that those KPIs need to connect up to the larger scope KPIs. That's yeah. I, I heard um, John Toussaint from the Theta Care Center for Healthcare Values say the other day. Um, this was in a, a podcast I published. Um, he said he was talking about going to an organization where the executives talking about their true north metrics, and he said there were like 55 KPIs, and he made that same point you did, Greg. You, know, you, you got to have some focus. You can't have that many KPIs. Now, the, you know, the organization might measure all of those 55 things, but the executives tend to look at four or five true north categories that each have maybe two or three key performance indicators. You know, how do you know if the organization is moving in the right direction of safety and quality? How do you know if, you know, the, you know, the ship's headed in the right direction? And if you find the right indicators, um, you know, they're, they're indicators, you know, are, do we need to course correct or not? And you see that I think work well in general with the strategy deployment methodology very broadly in lean. We see our customers incorporating that methodology into how they use Kinexus. And that's such a great point you made at the beginning that just because you're only, let's say, looking at five KPIs doesn't mean you might not be measuring 50 or 100 things. And you probably should be as long as, you know, it's compensatory with um, the, the output of the whole organization. Because quite frankly, sometimes you need to dig down and, and you need to look and, and study a problem. And uh, you really need to be able to have that data. But when, when you're really trying to kind of focus in on what are the things that we're going to look at daily or, or, or weekly, it, you have to take out all the static and just say, this is what we're going to focus on on a day-to-day. We're going to track all this other stuff, and we have analysts to tell us if something's out of whack, or we have this as a way to do deeper research on a problem. But um, key is key, not just PIs, it's KPIs. That's... Yeah. We've got another question here. How can we help move the executive team from I support to I commit? Um, I, I think one of the differences is, you know, if I think, you know, lean or continuous improvement or whatever it is they're supporting or, or committing, it's got to be tied to things that matter to the executives. Because otherwise, lean or continuous improvement is just, eh, it's nice to have. I think it's got to be more of a must-have. If executives say, look, we, we've got this huge uh, financial crunch we're in. We're going to use lean to improve quality, improve care, reduce costs without laying off staff. You know, that, that hopefully then brings it into the category of something staff commit or executives commit to. Then they're committed to help it be successful instead of kind of sit, sitting back and saying, well, you know, it's nice if this happens. I support it. But if it doesn't happen, oh well. I mean, I think the best lean organizations out there have, you know, tied this all to improvements that really matter, not just for the frontline staff, but also for the executives. It's, it, the key is to have visibility and impact. If, if executives understand just how important the work is from a safety, from a satisfaction, how it's going to really affect culture in the turnover category, how it's going to affect, um, I mean, VW is such a great example. We're, this is a, um, a complete culture meltdown that an organization um, had people that made a decision that made absolute no sense. I mean, a criminal decision was made. And um, that's, uh, 
that I, I can almost guarantee that would not have happened in a culture that um, would have not reprimanded someone for not having a goal where those engineers would have basically said, hey, we're really struggling with this because of X, Y, and Z instead of them saying, well, we'll just kind of slip this underneath the carpet and hope no one ever notices. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, so I think that there's implications on, you know, safety, there's implications on satisfaction. And then, you know, the easiest one is they should have real clear visibility into the, the financial impact because that's just, everyone understands numbers and you should be able to articulate that. But also, you know, we're talking to organizations now that are, they have a goal of, of becoming one of the best hundred places to work, right? And they, they, they see this connection between respecting people are, are going to, people that are respected in what they do and, and not ask to leave their brain at the door are going to provide a better product. They're going to be happier individuals and they're going to be ultimately driving more profit to the bottom line mm-hmm. or as a side effect of what they do. And um, and it's uh, it's really exciting, but making sure they, they understand impact and there's clear visibility of that, I think, is the key. Yeah. Okay, so let's do one more question. I think it sort of flows into this question while we're talking about respect and bringing up ideas. What's your best advice for coaching leadership towards an environment that promotes respect and trust for people, in turn giving the people the foundation to bring ideas forward safely? Um, what, what I would contribute here, and it's something I learned from Norman Bodek, who's written a lot of books about Kaizen and continuous improvement. Norman had said, you know, treat every idea like a gift. And as we're in the holiday season here, maybe, you know, good, uh, good rem- you know, we might see a, a, a little kid receive a gift for uh, Hanukkah or Christmas and maybe say something about it. Like, I don't like that gift. I, I don't like a sweater. I didn't want a sweater. And, you know, we're, we're sort of taught over time to be polite and, you know, to be respectful of somebody, you know, and appreciative of someone who's given us a gift. Now, I think in the workplace, we don't want to just smile and be passive aggressive. If somebody brings us a bad idea, quote unquote, we need to be respectful. We need to be thankful. And the advice is, you know, we need to coach in that person and work with them to find something that solves the problem. We honor and respect them by giving them that effort instead of just saying, well, no, that's a bad idea or rejecting the idea or somehow mocking or insulting the idea. Um, we, you know, we may, that helps make it um, safe for people to speak up. Greg, what do you think? I think putting ideas and continuous improvement at the beginning of a meeting and, and showing people that this stuff is really important and we're going to cherish all these is another strategy. Cause I mean, I think you answered the question perfectly and I'm just trying to think of it. Okay. Well, how could you do this at a tactile level? And so, um, not, not a tactile, at a tactic level, right. um, might be able to do it at a tactile level too, but that's <laughs> a little different issue. Um, and then at a tactical level, I think that if the leaders need to um, talk about these things at the beginning of, of a meeting saying, hey, these were the ideas that you know, we had, these are the suggestions that we're going through and showing that these things really matter and they're important. And, and then, like you said, you work to implement, right? Idea comes in and uh, we need a new parking garage. Well, yes, we might need the new parking garage, but let's talk about why and well, why this and why that. Oh, okay, great. Well, we can We can do this tiny change, not the parking garage, but We've actually created a positive change from um, someone's initial observation. 
And so that also means that it's, it's in when emails get sent out, it's, it just becomes part of the normal conversation um, of an organization. And that conversation is driven by the lead. Okay, well, I think we'll go ahead and wrap up. We, we're doing an experiment with um, doing a 30-minute session this time. Greg, you want to do another one in January? This sounds great. Love it. We've got, I, it's amazing. We're still on the same question set from the initial yeah. in Q&A. It was a really overwhelming response by everyone. Yeah, but we've got um, lots of questions. If you're viewing this and you want to see the first two parts of our Q&A, um, go to our YouTube channel if you... Um, go to youtube.com uh, and, and search for Kinexus. Um, we have a playlist um, or, or you'll find the Ask Us Anything videos or you can go to kinexus.com slash podcasts where we have been publishing the audio uh, as part of our podcast series. You can also go to kinexus.com slash webinars and click on the webinar archive library. You can sign up uh, for future uh, webinars. Uh, we also have a really good webinar coming up January 12th uh, with John Miller from Gemba Academy. He's going to be talking about practical problem solving and why that's important. So I want to thank you for watching or listening and being a part of this. Thank you for joining us. Greg, do you have any final thoughts? Well, thank you and I hope everyone has a great holiday season, gets a little time off and gets to see their family. And um, I guess we'll just have to wait till next year to do the next one. Yep. In 2016, uh, we'll, we'll be back. All right. Thanks a lot, Greg. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Mark.